This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of WSFI Spotlight. I'm your host, Angela Tomlinson, and it's my pleasure to have a delightful woman here in the studio. Her name is Charlene Quint. Charlene is an attorney who focuses her law practice on serving survivors of domestic abuse. She also serves as an outspoken advocate against domestic abuse and is a renowned public speaker, having been invited to be the keynote speaker at events hosted by the state's attorney, colleges, universities, seminaries, churches, nonprofits, and community groups. Along with a Safe Place staff, she founded and serves as co-facilitator of the Lake Forest and Gurney support groups. She serves as a co-chair of the Partnership for a Safer Lake County, a consortium of organizations devoted to eliminate violence of all forms, and serves on the Lake County State's Attorney's Task Force for Human Trafficking. Ms. Quint served on the Board of Regents of Trinity International University for 10 years, where she also taught business law as an adjunct professor. Ms. Quint served for six years as on the Board of Trustees of the Ausable Institute of Environmental Studies, a Christian institute of higher education. She served as the Director of the Church Community and Connections at Gurney Community Church and on the Board of Deacons at the Christ Church of Lake Forest. Prior to starting her own law practice, serving survivors of domestic abuse, Charlene practiced law for 15 years as a corporate attorney with Schiff Harden LLP and Jenner and Block, where she represented several faith-based nonprofit organizations. She served as a federal law clerk to the Honorable Morton Denlow in the U U.S. District Court North Northern District of Illinois. Prior to her legal career, Ms. Quint was the CFO of Probus Publishing. She started her career as a CPA with Arthur Anderson and Company. Ms. Quint received her JD Magna Cum Laude from Loyola University of Chicago Law School and received her BA Summa Cum Laude in Accounting and Business from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. So Charlene, that's a, that's quite a mouthful here, but I wanted to, before we got started, to explain to our audience how credentialed you were and what a blessing you are to be fighting the cause that you're fighting right now. It is such a privilege to be on uh, God's team, as I like to say. On God's team. So you have an event that's coming up on the 20th. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Right. So on, on March 20th, we are hosting my law firm and a safe place is uh, sponsoring the Lake County Conference for Pastors and Church Leaders. And the title of the conference is Biblically Based Best Practices for Addressing Domestic Abuse in a con in a congregation. It's a free event for pastors and church leaders and uh, really any person of faith who wants to learn more about this. And it's being held at uh, Gurney Community Church in, uh, in Gurney. It starts uh, at, at 8 o'clock and we'll be going to about 1230. So next Wednesday, March 20th, right here in Gurney. So our studio's in Libertyville, not too far away. But Gurney's perfect because, you know, our listening area actually extends up to Milwaukee. And I know that this is a Lake County-sponsored event, but um, I'm sure that priests everywhere and deacons everywhere and pastors everywhere would be, once they hear this show, they're going to be interested in attending. But before we get started about the event, we were talking a little bit before we went on air. It's easy to see why you're drawn to this mission. It's something personal for you, isn't it? It is. It, it, it really is. Um, I lived in um, Lake Forest for um, 21 years, and my, I myself am a survivor of domestic abuse. Um, uh, despite my credentials um, uh, of 
serving at churches and serving on the board of regents and uh, of a Christian university and and on the uh, the board of a an institution that was a Christian institution. I myself, um, behind closed doors, um, was in a an abusive marriage and. Um, I was in that marriage for 21 years, and uh, when I was able to to get out, I, I it, it took a few years to heal, and I asked the Lord, where do you want me to go next? And um, he uh, put me right back in and said, I want you to help other women get out. Mm-hmm. And you were talking a little bit about that experience that even though you were in Lake Forest, which for those of you who aren't familiar with Lake Forest, it's probably one of the higher income zip codes in the area, in our listening area. Indeed it is. But even though you were in that environment, in essence, you were almost like a, a prisoner of your husband because of the way he was clever enough to structure things. Do you mind me mentioning this? Not at all. Not at all. What we do know about domestic abuse is that in in a in a hundred percent of the cases is is emotional abuse and oftentimes people don't think that's a form of domestic abuse but you know name calling and criticizing and um, uh, you know constantly uh, trying to emotionally destroy your wife is is one one way of of, uh, abusing her but another way is which is um, statistics have shown is found in 99 percent of of abusive relationships is financial abuse and when we look at these beautiful homes and in places like like forest and other places um, we don't realize that if there's uh, abuse going on there's almost always financial abuse going on and that can take a number of different forms um, not allowing the wife to have any access to bank accounts um, she has no access to funds making her beg for every penny and come back with uh, uh, you know an expense report or or invoices Um, there's almost always financial secrets and keeping secret accounts to which she has no access you know, wasting large amounts of marital funds on um, risky ventures, and she has no say in it, you know, sabotaging her career. Uh, all of those um, took place in in uh, my my situation. Um, and when I, the day before I got married, I was handed a 28-page prenuptial agreement. 28 pages. Right. Um, what could you possibly put in 28 pages? Just everything's mine and, <laughs> and nothing's yeah, and that's, yours? That's how it went. Um, everything, uh, everything is mine and everything I make is mine uh, from now until forever. And, um, you know, the house is mine, the, you know, wh- whatever is mine. And I wouldn't have any, any say in that. Um, and at, at the end of whatever the marriage was, um, you know, I would be paid a certain amount for every year of married, uh, of marriage, but I also had to leave his house. I, I was required to, if there was a disagreement, I had to leave his house. And um, so it was really a, an employment agreement. Um, and he had been planning this for months. Uh, so he had worked out with his lawyers and his, his tax accountants and, and, and all this, um, this, uh, this agreement and then convinced me uh, to to quit my job at that time, I was a chief financial officer of a publishing house, and uh, under the ruse of, oh, we can, you can stay home with the kids, you can travel with me, we don't need two incomes. Um, why don't you quit your job and you know stay home? I didn't feel comfortable doing that, but I wanted this marriage to work, so so I did. And um, then right before the wedding, actually the day before the wedding, on my birthday, um, 
1992, um, I was handed this prenuptial agreement. This, this is a thing like a bad movie's made out of, isn't it? What, what, what did you, do you mind me asking, what did you say to him when he handed you that? Well, I was just in tears. Uh, I remember signing it. We were at the downtown in the Chicago law offices. He, he was represented by uh, the law firm of McDermott, Will & Emery. Um, I had known them from my business dealings, and I'd only met and done with business dealings with them. But we sat around a very large, fancy boardroom, and I was literally crying uncontrollably. And my attorney had to take me out a few times, and I was crying uncontrollably. He was laughing and joking with the, the, the other attorneys there, or his attorneys anyway. And um, I just remember thinking, this is not the way you start a marriage. There's no one around this table that's going to be happy, except for the lawyers who are making a few hundred dollars an hour. But this is not how you start a marriage. This is not God's design. This is not showing love to somebody. Um, and my attorney later said that day um, was a turning point in his career and, and how he practiced law. And in he, what way? Um, he said that that he he w he practice law differently after that instead of I, I was basically the victim in that situation he 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 practiced differently from that day forward on on how he represented the victims so oh. and I made a decision that day as well um, that was my impetus for going into law and I looked around there and knowing that nobody except the lawyers was going to be happy um, that's when I made the decision to go into law to help to help other people. And so when you went into law, did, was that before or after you left your husband? That was before. So a after we got married, um, I um, I went to Loyola Law School a couple years later. Uh, in, I enrolled in uh, 1995. And um, so that w I was, you know, I was uh, married in 1992, um, went to law school in 1995. Um, and uh, the good Jesuits taught me well. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, and when I before I uh, before I signed up, I said, Lord, this is this is your this is your law career. This is your this is yours. However you want me to use it, um, I I will use it for you. And so um, I was able to you know throughout my career represent a number of faith-based organizations, and it was such a blessing to be able to use that law career to, to and that legal um, education to help help them on their way and what a blessing it is to be able to use that legal education to help women now get out of domestic abuse. And you mentioned that, so you work for this large law firm, relatively mm -hmm. large law, for, law firm mm -hmm. in Chicago, right. and then you had another one of those epiphany moments where you felt as though you were being drawn to, to go deeper in helping women. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So I, um, I left my home in um, 2000. 12 with only an overnight bag. Um, I had to get out immediately. It was no longer safe. Um, the abuse had escalated to a point where uh, it was daily and um, was literally being forced every morning. Um, my husband forced me to have sex every morning and every night. And then he, on a vacation with the kids, he forced me um, in front of the kids. and. And they were in the same room, you know, the bed next to us in the same hotel room. And I said, I, I can't, I can't, this is, this is so far from what God designed for a marriage. I came back from that vacation and three days later, I, I moved out with only an overnight, overnight bag and went into hiding for two years. Uh, 
So. And, and you mentioned that you thought your husband had an issue with pornography. Yeah, uh, yes, um, most of them do. Um, we talked about uh, emotional abuse and financial abuse, but in abusive situations, there's um, often sexual abuse, and um, that's how it often plays out in a marriage where um, the abuser is addicted to pornography, um, has and expects his wife and f to perform any dehumanizing and degrading acts that he has seen um, hundreds of times uh, with his pornography addiction. Um, there's typically uh, affairs, many affairs over a long period of years. Um, uh, so those are just some of the... So it's really using that the form of abuse that you're referring to is women being treated as objects yeah. rather than as, as wives and as a mirror of the Trinity, as we're taught to believe. Absolutely. So it's, it's a denigrating Absolutely. type situation. Abusers who are typically narcissists or sociopaths or psychopaths um, use people as objects in to gratify themselves, whether it's a wife or whether it's a... a you know, an employee, um, they don't view people, they don't look at a, another person and say, oh, this is a human made, made in God's image, and what a gift that that person is in my life. They use them as objects to exploit, and s how can they use them? And when they're done using them and they're no longer useful, then they discard them and replace them with somebody else. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, you're hearing the voice of Charlene Quint. Charlene's an attorney. She is sponsoring a seminar that will be on March 20th, 20th Wednesday from 8.30 to 12.30. It's right here at Gurney. It's being hosted by Gurney Community Church in Gurney, Illinois. Where would people go for information if they're just tuning in? Well, they can go on a Safe Place website uh, under events to register if they'd like to register to, to come. Do um, they need to register or can they just show up? They can show up, uh, but we'd prefer that they register. Sure. One of the things we're doing is providing uh, continental breakfast and we're also providing handbooks so that every person can go out with some resources and a handbooks um, on how to, um, how to address domestic abuse. Thank if you're you. just tuning in, you're, you're hearing the voice of Charlene Quint. Charlene is um, working with a safe place uh, to present a conference called Lake County Conference for Pastors and Church Leaders, Biblically-Based Best Practices for Addressing Domestic Abuse in a Congregation. It's Wednesday, March 20th from 8.30 to 12.30 p.m. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the speakers and then we'll go back to your personal experience. We have some amazing speakers. Um, first of all, we have Father Charles Dom, affectionately known as Father Chuck. <laughs> He's a Dominican priest, and he heads up the uh, domestic violence outreach with the Chicago Archdiocese. Um, he has been a uh, parish priest of uh, St. Pius V for 20-something years and has just been such a... Um, a voice for uh, domestic abuse ministries um, within the Catholic congregation. I know he he um, goes around um, it, all to all places in the in the archdiocese and helps uh, um, other priests understand this and and helps them establish their own domestic abuse ministries. And who else do you have presenting? So Pastor Neil Shorey is another one of our speakers. Um, he serves as the senior pastor of the Edge Church in Aurora. He is probably most well known for being the senior, for, for being the pastor of Stacy Peterson, who was the fourth wife of the infamous murderer uh, Drew Peterson, who was the chief of police of a 
of a southern uh, suburban uh, uh, town. And uh, he wasn't convicted in uh, 2004 of uh, murdering his third wife, Kathleen Savio, and then he was convicted in 2016 of hiring a hitman to murder the prosecutor who oh. put him in prison for that murder. Um, so, uh, so he has, um, you know, when he, he was a very young pastor when this all happened, uh, which, uh, you know, the the third wife was was um, killed in 2004, and he was the pastor to the fourth wife, and he really didn't know what to do with all this information. And um, the Lord has has called him to this ministry as well. He has been um, on Fox News and on CNN and on CBS and NBC News. He testified in the trial. Um, so his life has gotten turned around um, by by being the pastor um, to to these folks, and he has embraced God's call to um, to pastor women who are um, domestic abuse victims and to really try to reach the church in opening the church's eyes to this, you know, this horrific thing that's happening here here in the church. So he's a wonderful speaker, very, uh, very well versed in this area and just uh, on fire for the Lord. And how about Nancy? Nancy Duncy, uh, it, I am privileged to work with Nancy uh, as a as a co-facilitator of the support groups in Lake Forest and in Gurney. She she facilitates four groups. She's a, a, a counselor. She also does individual counseling at a safe place. And uh, Damaris Lorta is the uh, chief uh, development officer at a safe place. And prior to her position as the chief development officer, she worked at the um, at the Lake County Courthouse as an advocate and ran the the advocacy program. Um, this uh, this offshoot of uh, a safe place is called D100. So when um, people need to go and to the court and get an order of protection, uh, her uh, group of uh, volunteers helps them get an order of protection and goes before the court and does legal advocacy. They do um, more than 2,000 orders of protection every year. It's, it's quite extraordinary. I'm looking at this. I understand now why you're so passionate about domestic abuse, and I see the hand of the God in your life where he took this horrible thing that happened to so much of you, and he's using it for his greater glory. He's kind of crushing the head of Satan through you. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's all about him. It's he's all about him. <laughs> it's all about he's, him. He, he did a rescue mission and then asked me to join him as he does rescue missions for other women. So do you find that domestic abuse is rare in the Christian or Catholic community? I wish I, wish I could say it is, but um, studies have shown that there is really not any difference of prevalence of domestic abuse in the Christian Catholic community than there is in the rest of the population. And the numbers are extraordinary. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's an epidemic. 36% of women, 36% of Christian women, will experience severe physical abuse or rape or stalking at some point in their lifetime. That's an extraordinary number. Just to put that in perspective, if we took all the different forms of cancer combined and as a percentage of the population how they affected it would be on par with 
all the different forms of cancer combined. Well, this it's a spiritual cancer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And for men, we like to think, oh, well, maybe men don't get that. But, but over the lifetime of, of, of many men, particularly as children, they are also victims of um, physical abuse and sexual abuse. Um, and, and stalking, so not as n- n- not as great in numbers as women, but certainly th- they are. And oftentimes, we see this as a as a generational sin when when children are raised in a domestic, you know, in a, in a household with domestic abuse. There is a very large chance that the children themselves um, will either become abusers themselves, or um, or find a partner who is an abuser. Um, and, you know, it's funny that you said that because we've had quite a few guests over the past five years, and I found a lot of men in very powerful, successful positions when they talk about their home life, their fathers were kind of tyrants to them. You mentioned to me that you've read thousands of articles about mm-hmm. sociopaths, narcissism. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the list of the different disorders that you said that you have been studying? Well, typically abusers have a cluster B personality disorder, according to the diagnosis and statistical manual. And cluster B personality disorders are characterized by lack of conscience and lack of empathy. With narcissism, it's a sense of grandiose sense of self and self-importance. So the typical ones we see are narcissistic personality disorder, sociopathy, and psychopathy, which are under the rubric of the antisocial personality disorder. So interesting that they feel like they have to control women and they know exactly, like your husband, it sounded like he knew exactly what he was doing to have that document prepared, make sure all his bases were covered like a business, like a clinical business transaction. It was. Versus a, a woman that he loves and wants to care for for the rest of his life. So you're focused on pastors, priests, and church leaders for this conference. Why are you focusing on that demographic? Well, we find that um, they are often the first responders. For women of faith, they are the priest or the pastor is often the very first person that they talk to about, uh, about what's going on at home. And uh, this is certainly the situation in my case. And, and we find that they're just, they're not equipped in this area. Um, seminaries don't have classes um, that are, um, that focus on domestic abuse for the most part. And by their own admission, they're not quite sure what to do <laughs> when, when this happens. And so our, our goal is to come alongside pastors and church leaders to help educate them about what domestic abuse is, what it looks like, the effects on women, the, the way that the church can help the, the victim, and um, also comply with their uh, legal requirements. I think many pastors may not know there are legal requirements for pastors. Uh, they are considered mandated reporters, along with counselors and physicians and nurses and teachers. So when they hear of um, certain types of domestic abuse, they're required to report it to DCFS. So we're, we're trying to just help the church. My heart, I've, I grew up in the church. I love the church. This is God's, you know, plan A to bring the kingdom to, to earth. He doesn't have a plan B. We're it. And so my heart is to help the church address this address this tragedy that's in the church. I don't think they learned this in the seminary, is that right? So where else would they learn something like this if they didn't go to a conference like this? Well, that's, that's a really good question. One of the ways they, they can learn um, is uh, the, 
there is a training uh, that's uh, produced by the um, Illinois Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It's a, a 40 hour training class, a safe place opposite three or four times a year. Um, but we don't get a lot of pastors um, there. It's just not something that they're reaching out to do. I'm not sure what other groups have are focused on this, but I know that having a, a pastor, a supportive pastor and a supportive church can make the world of difference uh, to a victim and her families and helping them heal along that path. But I also know how destructive it is when pastors don't, don't support the victim. Uh, and all too often, they'll believe the abuser or just take a neutral stance and don't do anything. And we all know that when you take a neutral stance and there's evil on one side, it's not a neutral stance. It's, it's a supporting of evil. I like to say it's, it's, you know, if there's a fight between a tiger and a bunny and you say, I'm not going to get involved. I'm taking a neutral stance in this. We know the tiger is going to rip up the bunny. And that's how it is in a situation of domestic abuse. I know that you were quoting scripture early with me. Does the Bible address domestic abuse? It does. Um, you know, there's there's a couple places that, are, that, that really have a specific description of abusers. And the, the first one that comes to mind is 2 Timothy 3. And it this is a, a letter written from Paul uh, to Timothy, who is now the head of the church in Ephesus when he writes this. And it's, it's a letter of, to help Timothy as he, as he kind of sorts through his, his uh, leadership of the church. And, and Paul warns him of this. He goes, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They're the kind that warm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. They're loaded down with sins and swayed by all sorts of evil desires always learning but never able to come with the knowledge of the truth. That is the perfect description of a narcissist and, and an abuser. Um, sounds like us. <laughs> I turn on television, that sounds like a perfect description sometimes of what I see on the news. Right? Um, it, yeah. it, it, it really is. Um, but it's true, that really does, when you when you read that last uh, couple lines again about the coming into your home. Oh yeah, they, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and yes. gain control over gullible women. We often see that there is a person, you know, there's a personality, personality type for the abuser, but there's also a personality type for the victim, and they are almost always women who are kind and giving and forgiving and generous and lovely and sweet and good-natured and they are without guile they're not looking for a sociopath or a narcissist they you know they they look at the good things so these are all the characteristics of Christian women as we look at them and say oh these are all good characteristics but the one thing that they that in general they haven't honed the gift of discernment in recognizing the evil from, from the good. And in fact, narcissists are so good at what they do that I actually know and have counseled women who have PhDs in, um, as psychologists, and, and they have somehow gotten themselves involved 
in uh, relationships or marriages with, with abusers. So and that's what's so impressive. If I look at your credentials, I know there must be a stereotype of a woman that's abused. And, and so you had everything going for you. You were a CFO. You were incredibly credentialed. You were a woman of faith. Because you usually think, well, it's going to be someone who doesn't know any better, that doesn't have a life in her own, that can't. But that's not the case at all, is it? No. It's uh, the, the women um, that I, particularly the, the, uh, the women who are from, you know, affluent areas, are very credentialed on their own. Like I said, I have had some clients who have their, you know, doctorates in, in um different areas. One woman I know is, has given a TED talk in her field of expertise. I served on the boards with, with other women. I mean, these are very credentialed women, but, um, you know, the, the, these narcissists and sociopaths and psychopaths, they are very, very good at pretending to be someone that they're not. Very and charming. Exactly. In fact, um, what we find is that there's three distinct phases of a romantic relationship with a uh, with an abuser and the first phase literally is called the love bombing stage <laughs> where, where they go over and beyond uh, of of treating her you know nicely and showering her with um, you know with love with flowers with dinners with kindness so much that that you think oh mister you know the prince charming has come in and and they use uh, they if they know she's a woman of faith they'll pull out the God terms and and you know start quoting scripture or at least sound uh, using the 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 legal or the the Christian ease stuff so you think oh well, here's this wonderful person of faith but then we but it's, it, that's not their two selves. They, they, we know that that's to get the emotional hook into them. And, and we also know that the second phase, once that emotional hook has been planted, which is usually right around the wedding day. I mean, it's like a turning a switch on and off. And as soon as the wedding happens and he knows that he's got this hook emotionally and financially and sexually, then there's a whole new person that shows up, and that's called the devaluation stage, and th that's what your the marriage consists of. And so women are very confused. What happened to this person that I was dating for so long? That was Mr. Wonderful, and now, uh, who, who are you, and what have you done with my with my husband? So very or confused. Or what have I done? Yeah, right. Or what have I, I done? Be, I'd be thinking, oh, did I say something wrong? Did exactly. I do something wrong? Did exactly. I? So, they're, so they think they've done something and they don't know what has happened. And and so they're you know, confused for a long time. And I think, well, maybe this other person will come back because you know, we don't know who this is. And then, you know, as time runs on, then there comes the discard phase where, you know, he's, you know, again, they use people. And so once they're no longer useful, they discard them like we discard yesterday's newspaper, you know, no emotional attachment at all to that, and they go and search for the next one. Um, and those, those are the three phases um, of, an emo of a romantic relationship with, a, with an abuser. But within th the, the phase where they're, they're in a relationship, there's also cycles of abuse, and those are uh, where, where um, you know, there's a, an explosion, some type of uh, either physical or uh, verbal um, explosion, and 
then they realize, oh, well, she might leave, so I better, I better apologize and keep her in here. So, you know, he apologizes, is on good behavior for a while, and, um, and she has hope. Oh, maybe, maybe that was just a mistake. Maybe it's a one-off, and he's promised to be better. And, and then, um, then the, the, the tension builds, so there's this kind of tension-building stage where she's walking on eggshells, not wanting to upset him, and then, you know, it explodes again for no apparent reason. And um, then we go and, and do it all over again. And, you know, the explosion happens, physical or emotional or verbal, some type of uh, abuse. And, and then it goes over again. Oh, sorry. Maybe brings flowers. You know, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. You know, the Lord's not finished with me yet. Type things like that. And, and then she again holds out hope and she doesn't want to destroy her family. You know, she's got a family to look after and she doesn't want to destroy the life that they've built and so she holds out hope and so this is the cycle of abuse um, that just keeps her in that that relationship. Are there warning signals that a pastor or a deacon or a priest should could you like red flags what would they be looking for to see if any of their parishioners are going through any of this? Well for for her um, yeah there's there's warning signals um, that, you know they um, you know, they're very uh, deferential to their husband. They won't do anything without his approval. Um, um, maybe they don't have the ability to say yes or no unless in, unless he's, he says that. Um, but oftentimes women hide it from everybody. That's what I was thinking yeah. is they just suck it up and they we, keep we their do. mouth shut. Yep. Right. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell most women right. um, because that's embarrassing. You know, yes. it's a sense of shame. So most women don't say anything. And when they finally have to leave and come out, people are in shock. What? Do you, what? You know, what? I have never saw anything like that. It, usually their husband is charming and the life of the party and very curious and outgoing and you know maybe he's he's been a, a volunteer at church or you know in the communities he's well known so they look at Mr. Outgoing friendly and nice but they don't realize that most you know these Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde is one of the characteristics of an abuser to the rest of the world they want to appear wonderful so you know they want to it's particularly narcissists. They want to look good in front of the church. They want to look good in front of the community. They want to look good in front of their friends, in front of the country club, and you know all of this. But behind closed doors, they're a different person. So, um, so it's very difficult unless a woman comes up and says, "This is what I'm going through." It's very difficult to 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 do that. But that's one reason why a lot of times people don't believe her. Charlene, what's going through my mind right now is I know we're here to talk a little bit about um, the conference that's on March 20th. Uh, it's primarily geared towards uh, people in a leadership position in mm -hmm. faith-based organizations, pastors and mm -hmm. deacons, etc. But say someone's listening right now, how can they, and they want to talk to you, how would they do that? Well, um, we can give out my my email. Yes, they need to do. talk to me. It's um, quintlawoffice at gmail.com. That's uh, Q-U-I-N-T lawoffice at gmail.com. And I would also give out the number for a safe place yes. uh, because there that's in a, you know, a whole organization devoted to transforming lives after domestic abuse. Um, so that's uh, uh, their online. 
let me get the number here that we can give you to. It's 847-731-7165. Uh, is the phone number for a safe place. They have a helpline. Um, they have a, um, this is the line to the office, but they also have a, a line um, uh, for a, a hotline. And I would also say if you are in um, physical danger right now, then you need to call, you need to get out of your house and, and call the police immediately. And I'm sorry, Charlene, that's all the time we have left. I'm so happy that you contacted WSFI. You've been listening to the voice of Charlene Quint. If you go to WSFI Podbean, this recording will be there with Charlene's contact information. In the meantime, on March 20th, if you're a church leader, you don't want to miss this conference. March 20th, Wednesday, at Gurney Community this Church. This WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at WSFIRadio.com dot org.